Amen. Good morning. A little bit different morning than last week. It's nice to hear the birds singing this morning. The sun was shining. Good day to come to church. Um, we are finishing up our series in the book of James. I hope, I hope you've enjoyed um, this series. Uh, you know, they, they sometimes say you save the best for last. And I, and I think James, in writing this epistle, or writing this letter to these um, Christians who were undergoing persecution, I think towards the end of his letter, he saves the best for last. Because I believe towards the end of James' letter, he really speaks to the core of why we struggle so much with so many things in our lives. And, and the reason why I like James is, you know, we've come to understand that James is the, the brother of Jesus, that, that James came to bow his heart and life to the lordship of Jesus, that, that, he was, that Jesus was Lord, that James' church history tells that even gave his life as a martyr, was a leader in the Jerusalem church. But he writes this letter concerning the authenticity of believers and, and, and living what you believe. If, if you believe that Jesus is your Lord, then it should translate in the way you live your life. And so the reason why I think so many people like the book of James is that it's so practical in the way we live our lives today. It, it can really show us uh, the depths and, and, and the issues that are really going on in our hearts and really speak to, to what's uh, 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 alive in our hearts and what needs to change so that we can be the followers of Jesus that he desires us to be. And so what we're going to dive in today is, is this, in this last part of James, we're going to really look at what it, what it means to be a humble Christian. How do you know that, that one thing that we all deal with in our life is pride? Can I get an amen this morning? I can remember it was, um, how many remember 1986? How many of you lived through 1986? Okay, okay, a lot of you here, like me, you remember 1986. I can remember 1986 very well for this one reason. I had two of my favorite teams make it to their championship games in 1986. Now, if you're a Mets fan, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Because that was the last time. Can I get an amen? That was the last time. Because I know there's mostly Yankee fans in here, and I'll pray for you. But anyways, um, or if you're a Boston fan, I'll pray for you. But anyways, um, here, especially if you're a Boston fan, you know what I'm talking about right now. And I can remember that year, I was in college, I was in college in Florida, and I can remember that year, before I was a, you know, Buffalo Bills fan, um, when I jumped on the bandwagon, when they went to four Super Bowls in, in a row and, and lost them all, I, I, I was a New England Patriots fan. God forbid I was. And I can remember that year, in 1986, they made it to the Super Bowl. And I can remember walking around the campus, and there was you know, some, some guys from Boston there, and, and we were all excited because the Patri- Patriots made it. Now, they were playing a team that only lost... One game, and that was the Chicago Bears. And the Chicago Bears had a secret weapon called the fridge. How many remember the fridge? Ruth remembers the fridge. Ruth was there. Um, and so I remember the, fr- the fridge was like this 500-pound locomotive that actually played defense but once in a while, they would let him be the fullback and just run everybody over to score those short touchdowns. And, and I can always remember, New England was not favored. They barely got into the playoffs. And here they are in the Super Bowl against the team who only lost one game all year. And, 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 and Chicago was, was favored to win. So I was just all excited about watching this. And I was kind of 
walking around the campus with my New England hat on, and I was puffing my chest, hey, New England, mate, they're the underdog. And guess what happened? They got shellacked. It was like 46 to 10. And the fridge just went all over them, right? It was just a bad, bad game. And so I remember the next day walking, because then you got you, you got the walk of shame, right? You walk around the campus and everybody's like, hey, how'd that work out for you, Jerace? Yeah, your team did real good. Yeah, they should have never been there, right? You know, and so I took it, you know, it was a humbling thing. And But then I can remember that same year, the Mets made it to the World Series. And if you remember, they were playing the Red Sox. And how many remember game six of the mess? Some of you, it's all coming back, right? There's game six. And, and, and the Red Sox had that all wrapped up until that one hit down the first baseline when Buckner let the ball go between his legs. And it opened up the whole game for the miracle match. You had Mookie on the team. You had Keith Hernandez. And it opened up, and the Mets end up winning the next game, game seven. And I can remember walking around campus with my Mets hat on and, and just puffing my chest out saying, the miracle Mets, you know, and, and all the Boston fans. Now, it was kind of weird because I was a New England Patriots fan from Boston, but yet, I didn't like the Boston Red Sox, and I liked the New York Mets. So that was kind of weird. So they're all calling me, oh, yeah, yeah, you like New England, but then you don't like the, you know. And it was like this pride thing. How many of you know, you, we can get very prideful about our teams, right? And they're winning, and you feel good when they win. You're, and then you, win, you, know, you feel very humbled, and you, you got those people that you're not going to face. And, and, and social media now makes it terrible because you got people texting you now, oh, look how good your team did now, and they're Facebooking you, and they're saying, oh, they lost, blah, blah, blah. How many know humility is not a fun thing? Because, because when, when, when you are humbled, that's not, it's, it's fun to be on the winning side because you've got pride, and you're on the winning team, and, and you feel good about yourself. But how many know that humility is not a fun thing? Because here's the thing that, that we're going to see in this letter is that at the end of James' letter, is he deals with humility. He says the one characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ has to be one of humility. And humility is a difficult thing for us to live with because it's in direct conflict with our pride. And so what we're going to see here in chapter 4 is what does authentic humility look like? Because, you see, humility is a, is a tricky thing. Uh, for, for, for this reason, no one can say that they're humble. Why? Because the moment you say you're humble, then you just admitted that you're not humble. Does that make sense, 830 crowd? You guys awake this morning? It, see, no one can say my best characteristic is, is, is my humility. That, that's my best. If, if I were to look at any, you know, if you were at a job interview... And someone were to say, hey, give me some of your best characteristics. Well, one of my best characteristics is I'm very humble. And no one's going to say that because the minute you say that is you're admitting that you're not. So the reason why humility is, is hard to live out is for the simple reason it comes in direct conflict with our pride. So let's look at what James, we're going to be looking at James chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And, and really, what James says here, the, the issue with humility is, is we have trouble submitting ourselves to God. And so what, 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 what James is going to do, he's going to speak some harsh language 
to these Christians on where they're missing it with God, that they're allowing their pride and their self-assurance and their self-security to get in the way of submitting themselves to God. And he's going to speak right to their heart and show them where they need to change. So the language here is rough. James gets rough with them. He just speaks right to where they're living because he wants them to see a heart that's not submitted to God is a heart that's not walking in humility before the Lord. And the result is all kind of issues, right? We know that. And so let's, let's see what the Word of God says here. James says, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You, you, you want a Corvette, but you cannot get, I mean, no, no, you covet. Sorry, I messed it up. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with what? The wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes enemies of God. Or or do you not think Scripture says without reason that he is jealous and longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor or gives grace to what? The humble. Verse 7. He gives us the answer. Here's the answer to a heart that is proud. He says, he says, therefore, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not, and, and he's saying, here, here's what comes from a prideful heart. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it. But sitting in judgment on it, there is only one lawgiver and judge and the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And now he gets real practical here about a prideful heart. He says, now listen, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do that, this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So James doesn't mince any of his words here. And he gets to the root cause of, of, of why we're not humbly, or why th- these people weren't humbly walking before the Lord. And I want you to notice the, the theme of, in this chapter. The words that James used. He uses the word selfish and lustful and prideful and judgmental and boastful and overconfident. All the opposite of humility. So, so let's, let's define what, what is really humility? What, what is it? And what isn't it? And so when we see the word humility in the Bible, it carries this idea. It carries the idea of lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. Catch it. It's, it's, not, it's not beating yourself up. 
it's it's not trying to it's not trying to show the world by by maybe how you dress or say oh look how humble I am because I, I dress so much lowlier than everybody else or or I do all these things for everybody else and 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 I always put myself second that that has part of part of it but really the the context here biblically the context is lowliness of mind it's the state of the heart not necessarily the outward acts see humility is not thinking less of yourself humility is thinking of yourself less let, let me say that again because that was really good and i got like a teeny golf amen out there so let me let me say it again golf you, you, you ever see golf claps and people go oh that was good oh yes that's a golf clap this is a golf amen amen we don't do that here we just say amen Preach it, brother. Just teeth. You guys are coming along. I'm getting you there. We're going to get there. Okay? It's all right. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. Okay? That, that's, that, 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 that's, that's just low self-esteem. That's not, not what we're talking about. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's, it's, it's not low self-esteem. It's not beating yourself up. You know, in the Bible, they used to wear, wear sack, sackcloth and ashes and, 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 and put put stuff on their face so they show people that they're that they're humble and that they're fasting so everybody can see, oh, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing all this really rough clothing to itch my skin and I'm just so hungry because I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm doing it for the Lord. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's good. Is that humility? No, that's just, that, that's just showing people you're trying to be self-righteous. Um, so it's not, it's not low self-esteem. It's not beating yourself up. It, it's not becoming a doormat to someone. Humility is not putting myself forward. It's not thinking that I'm better or more superior to someone else. It's not thinking that I'm, it's not, it's, it's complete opposite of saying I'm the master of my destiny. I'm the one that controls everything. I'm the one that controls tomorrow. Because that's what the world tells you, right? Be the master of your destiny. You control tomorrow. You do all this. That, that's not humility. And, and James speaks against that. And so, just think of a time. You ever thought of a time when, when you just thought a little too much of yourself and you were humbled? You ever think of a time that you just were a little bit overconfident about something and then you, you, got, you got humbled? It was like me and Lily one time playing horse in our street in basketball. And, and I was just messing around and she started making shots. And so, when somebody ahead of you makes a shot, the pressure's on you now to make it. So I was a little cocky, you know, I was making a, you know, and I said, well, I'll let her get really close and then I'll beat her, you know, because just can't let a 12 year old girl beat you, right? I'm taking you down. You're going out and play with dad. I'm taking you down. That's the way it is. You're going to learn, right? Um, I'm kidding. Okay. So all of a sudden she started making shots and so I had the pressure on me. So it was like this last shot. I think we were playing pig and, and she was ahead of me. And if I missed the shot, she would win. I was like, sure enough, I missed the shot. And she was like, I won! And she's doing these laps around the street. And, you know, uh, that was humili- That was very humiliating to me. Um, see, he, what, what James brings forth in this section of his letter, this is his, his, his main point here, is, is the, 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 the people that were listening to this letter, they were more concerned about serving themselves. This is why they were fighting. This is why they were unhappy. This is why they were not 
content. There was lust within their own hearts. And James is saying, you need to submit yourself before God. You need to get rid of that. That's the reason why you're discontented. That's the reason why there's fighting amongst you. Because you're not getting what you want. You're not humbling yourself. You're you're, you're putting yourself forward and all your desires and all your wants, which is causing strife and fighting amongst the church. And you need to lay those rights down and realize we are here to serve one another. So that's why they weren't happy. So there was this lust within their own heart. I want you to remember, lust, if if you're going to define what lust is, lust is taking from someone or something to fulfill your own desires. See, it's, it's when we're not concerned about the other person. We're only concerned about what we can get. So James says to his listeners, Listeners, that they were really arrogant in how they were acting in the church, boasting about what they would do in the future, boasting about their plans. And he even says that that this type of boasting is evil. And and how can we be so arrogant to think that we really are in control, that we are just a vapor, that we're here one moment and gone the next? We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. How, how, How dare we think that we have everything under control because only God is sovereign? So James says that we must submit ourselves to God. So the question is, how do we walk in this in a correct biblical type of humility that's honoring to the Lord, that that brings favor upon our life, that brings God's grace upon our life so that God doesn't oppose us? The reason why God was opposing them is because they weren't walking in humility. They weren't walking in lowliness of mind. And so God was opposing them. So they were frustrated. They were arrogant. They were fighting among them. So if if you see something in your life that you're constantly fighting against and you're not happy and and, and you're constantly criticizing and things aren't going your way, you like, man, it just never things never go my way. Listen. There might be something in your heart that God is literally opposing in your life because you're not submitting that thing to the Lord. Amen. Okay. so so let's how do we walk in that humility? So in in order to under correctly understand humility, we, we must understand that it starts in the heart. Humility says this. There is nothing beneath me. There is no job that if Christ asked me to do it, that I should ever turn down. And I just, I heard this, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, but I love this story about a pastor. Somebody came up and said, Pastor, I'm trying to serve in the church. I just can't find anywhere to serve. And this is a huge church that she was asking this question. And the pastor said, well, um, maybe you're not looking low enough. Right? Maybe you're not looking low enough. See, so, so there's nothing beneath me. There's nothing that says, Christ, if you ask me to do something, then I'm going to turn out. So I, want, I just want to give you two quick things here. I want to give you two things to remember to walk in humility. This is how we keep our hearts humbled before the Lord. And it, remember, lowliness is a state of mind. Lowliness, ha- it, it's, 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 a, it's a mind thing. I've got to get this into my mind so that I'm, I'm walking in humility before the Lord and that it's this lowliness of mind and it's not putting myself above others. So here's a couple things that, that, that we need to remember that I think will help us to walk in humility before the Lord. The first thing I want, we need to do if we're going to walk in humility is that we need to remember the past. Let me explain this to you. We need to remember our past. This is the reason why I love the Rocky movies. Rocky 1 was the best 
movie ever. Out of all, of all, out of all 18 Rocky movies, Rocky 1 is the best. And here's the reason why it is. You can argue with my kids like, you know, my kids like when, you know, Rocky 4, whatever. I'm like, okay, go talk to your mother. Okay, Rocky 1's the best, so just be quiet, okay? So the reason why I love Rocky 1 is they get into his life. They show him going to his apartment in, 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 in the real humble part of Philadelphia, and he's got this beat-up mattress, and he's just some fighter trying to make it. And out of the blue, he gets picked to fight an exhibition match against the champion of the world. And they just show him jogging with his Chuck Taylors on and his, his sweats on, and he's in the meat, meat market punching raw meat, you know, and just, it's just humbling, and, and then they show the other side with Apollo Creed, and he's got all the money, and he's got all this, and then all of a sudden he makes it, and he, 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 he loses by decision, but then he fights him again, and he wins, and then things begin to change for Rocky, now he's starting to have money, and he begins to, you know, he begins to fight, you know, you know, in better places, and has more money, and then he, he comes up against Mr. T, remember Mr. T in Rocky 3, remember, you fool, remember that, Rocky, you you know, and he had the mohawk and all the gold chain. He actually is a, a follower of Christ, by the way. That's kind of funny if you watch the movie. But Mr. T, and, um, uh, and then he fights him, but, but, but he, he's a little cocky about himself. He's a little hot, and he thinks he's going to win. And then he ends, up, he ends up losing against Mr. T. And then what he ends up doing, he goes back to his humble roots again and, and starts to train and, 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 and humility and, and where Apollo Cree used to change used to train in the inner cities of LA and so on and so forth. And then and then remember in, in Rocky Four he fi- he fights the Russian guy and then and that Russian guy is all juiced up on steroids, right? He's this machine that can just punch the lights out of anyone. And so the way Rocky trained was like his past. He went in into like Siberia and trained with no fancy equipment and you know, he's lifting cows over his head and he's doing all this stuff to train, to beat Drago, the, the Russian juiced up steroid guy, right? And then he ends up, he ends up beating him. But, but the thing about Rocky, the thing about like his, this movie, he always goes back to where he started, his, his humble beginnings. And when he would get too full of himself, he'd always go back to those days of his humble beginnings. What I like about this, about humility, is to remember your past. We need to remember where we came from. Rocky needed to be remembered to remember where he came from. We need to be remembered what God rescued us from. It's interesting that in the book of Deuteronomy, God reminds Israel that they were slaves in Israel. Five different times you're going to read that God reminds Israel that they once were slaves. Deuteronomy 15.15 says this, God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Five times we see this. Now, why does God say this to them? Is it to rub it in? Is it to make them feel bad? Is it to make them feel guilty? No, God did not want them to forget that it was by his mighty hand that they were freed from oppression. And the moment they forgot that, which they did, is the moment they walked in their pride. And the moment they became became rebellious against the Lord. And the moment they began to serve other gods. We needed to, not, not to beat ourselves up, but we need to remind ourselves, you know what? I'm a sinner that's saved by God's grace. And if it wasn't for God's grace alone, I would be lost. How dare I think something more of myself as a believer. And the moment we think that is the moment we walk away 
from God's humble, humble hand. And so the, the, the reason why God did this was it was meant to keep them humble and dependent on God. It was to spur them on to obedience to his commands. And this would keep them from taking the credit and, and giving it to themselves. You see, when I remember where I come from, that God saved me from the slavery of sin, that I brought nothing to the table that I couldn't save myself, two things happen in my life. It keeps me humble and it keeps me obedient. See, when I look back and say, you know, what, what, see, what happens is it's easy for me to, to, as a believer and a follower of Christ, to get very self-righteous and to begin to point the finger at the world. Well, look how sinful the world are. Duh, you were part of it. They are. They need Jesus. That's why he came. But if I sit back and I point the finger at the world and I say, look at the world, look how sinful they are. I need to be careful because, listen, remember, every time you point the finger, there's three pointing back at you, right? Right? Every time you point the finger at someone, there's three pointing back at you. And so I've got to remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. James is saying, before you start judging, there's only one judge. You better look at yourself and say, wait a minute, God saved me out of a sinful state. And I still need his forgiveness over the stupid things that I do. See, humility remembers the past because the more we remember where we came from, the lowlier of mind we become before the Lord. And we realize, God, it's only by your grace that I'm saved. And I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to allow your glory to be shown in my life. I, I'm, not, I'm not the centerpiece. I'm not the showpiece here, God. You are. And the lower we become, the higher Christ becomes in our life. The lower I bow myself before the Lord, the more Jesus Christ is glorified in my life. Remember your past. Remember that you were slaves. Don't forget that. Never forget of the things that God brought you out of and how you saved and how we save you. And the moment I start pointing the finger at the world and saying how bad and blah, blah, is the moment I begin to put myself above them and make myself better than everybody else. And we aren't. Amen? We aren't. So we, have to be, we need to be very, very careful because this can create a very haughty spirit within us. So remember your past. And the second thing here is, is remember, always remember who you serve. The Apostle Paul reminds us of who we serve and, and the example that Jesus left for us and how we are to serve. And if we remember our past and we remember who we serve, this will keep us in that lowly state of mind before the Lord. And I love this Philippians 2, 3 and 8. Write this down in your notes if you're, if you're taking notes because we need to constantly remind ourselves. I love this passage because it's a great way to remind ourselves of who we serve and what a great example Jesus set for us. What did Paul say here? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in what? Humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but the interest of, of others, to the interest of others. In, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of who? Jesus Christ. Who, what? Being the very same nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be uh, to his own advantage. Rather, he, catch this, catch this. this, this is the gist of the whole message. Grab this, people, ready? 830 crowd. Rather, he 
made himself what? Nothing. He humbled himself, became in the form of incarnate man, and allowed himself to be beaten and bruised. Allowed himself to take on the wrath of God for you and I. Allowed himself to take on your sin upon his back, upon that cross. He did it. It wasn't forced upon him. He chose. He chose. He chose to walk in humility. Now watch this. By taking on the very nature of what? A servant being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, what did he do? He humbled Himself. Look at those two. Look at look at those verse seven and first and verse eight. Rather, he made himself nothing. Verse eight. He humbled himself by becoming what obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's humility, people. Are you ready? Jesus chose to take on the role of a servant. Jesus chose to humble himself. Humble himself so much to even allow himself to become obedient to death on a cross. You think everybody wants to do that? It wasn't his fault. He was innocent. But because he humbled himself and was obedient to the Father, Jesus knew this was the only way that could bring redemption for you and I. By allowing his perfect, sinless life to become an offering for you and I. Are are you catching this, people? I don't think you're catching it. Eyes right here. Follow me. Because this is important. You can't miss this. Because if we miss this, we're going to miss everything in our Christian walk. Here's why James saves the best for last in his letter. He's saying, people, listen, you've got to choose. There's two ways humility can be brought upon you. You can choose it and walk in humility, or it can be forced upon you. And the forced upon humility is a lot harder. play basketball with Lily sometime. You'll know why, right? Listen, it can either be forced upon you or we can, we can choose to say, Jesus, because of what you did for me, I'm going to choose to humble myself and not always get my way. Wah, wah, wah. I'm going to choose to forgo myself and allow you to be glorified in my life. I know everything in my life is not going to go my way. Because there's some of you here today, right now, that things aren't going your way, and you're upset with God. God's saying, just become obedient to me. Lay your life down before me. Humble yourself before me. Let my grace lift you up. Listen, it's no fun fighting God because we never win that battle. God says, humble yourself. Because you know what? Maybe I'm just trying to do a deeper work within your heart. And if you humble yourself, how many you know when you just try to force a situation and it's just not working and you force and you force and you're just, because you're fighting against who? You're fighting against God. And God said, will you stop fighting me and just give up and humble yourself and allow my grace to lift you up? Pride is the hardest thing to break. That was the thing for me was the hugest obstacle in my coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because the way I looked at my life as a 16-year-old, I would hear the gospel message, and I would hear that you need to become born again, that Jesus needs to be your Savior, that He died for your sins. But I would look at my life, and my pride would say, well, I haven't done anything bad! I'm a good kid! 
I never put a cigarette in my mouth. I'm a good kid. I never got drunk. I didn't do this. And so this pride welled up of this self-righteousness. And the way I would look at it is like, well, yeah, those people over there, the bad people, right? The people that are sinning. They need Jesus. But I don't. Because I'm doing okay on my own. Right? What is that? It's pride. It's arrogance. And it wasn't until Jesus showed himself so real to me, and basically it was just like this, Barden, your sin stinks just like everybody else's sin stinks. You're no different. And I can remember it was such a humbling time for me. In April 1982, that God humbled my heart and said, Barden, you need a Savior. And I can remember the way God humbled my heart was this way. I was in a youth group with about 100 other kids. And the youth pastor said, listen, if, 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 if you want to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to stand in front of all these kids. Now, I was there and I just wanted to be a fly in the wall. I didn't want, want to be noticed. I was like, I was bribed to come to youth group. So I didn't want to be noticed. I was just there just because my parents made me come. We worked out a deal. I was just there. My parents were trying everything to get me to go to youth group. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Barden, I want you to stand. I want you to stand. See, standing didn't save me. What saved me was Jesus' blood. My faith in Christ, by His grace, is what saved me. But by standing, God was breaking my pride and saying, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And I stood. And I stood in front of that group. And at that moment... Jesus Christ changed my life. There had to be a breaking of my pride. And the moment God broke my pride is when God's grace flooded in to my life. Some of you here today, you're not allowing God's grace to flow into your life because you're not humbling yourself. In fact, what's interesting, the Hebrews had a term for humility. And it was called this. The lowering of the Nile. For this reason, those who lived by the Nile understood that they were completely dependent on the Nile for their livelihood. If it was lowered by drought, they knew the quality of their life would be lowered. Isn't that interesting? Because they lived there for so many years. You see, as a follower of Christ, I can choose to lower myself before God. I can choose to walk in humility or I can have humility placed upon me. The second one breaks my pride. The first one says, I have no pride. And let me just finish with this quote from Andrew Murray and then we're going to take communion together. Andrew Murray says this, Humility is perfect quietness of heart It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me. And when I am blamed or despised, It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace 
in the deep sea of calmness when all around me is trouble. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross manifested in those of His who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. See, humility is all about a choice. In Christ Jesus, I now choose to humble myself and allow God's grace to lift me up. And what we're going to do, this is what communion is all about, people. Communion, when we take communion and we come before the Lord's table, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. When we come to the Lord's table, we're remembering that Jesus laid his life down as what? A servant. He came to serve and not be served for you and I. You're remembering. And when you remember this, communion's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about some righteous act that I do. Say, oh, I took communion today. I'm good for the week, Jesus. Right? Some of you took it that way. Or you come to church. I came to church. I'm good for a week, Jesus. It's not about you. See, when we come to the Lord's table, it's about Jesus and what he did for us. And we're humbling ourselves before Christ. And we're saying, Jesus, listen, I didn't act so good this week. My pride's been welling up in me. I'm I'm a little arrogant in some areas. I'm a little prideful. I'm I'm getting irritated. You know, I'm just, I'm just... Man, I'm, I'm, I'm just obsessed about planning for tomorrow and next year. And it's, it's gripped my heart. It makes me worry. It makes me fret. I'm not, I'm not at peace. It's because God's coming against you. Because you're trying to do it yourself. So what does he say? Come to me and you will find rest. Lay those things down. Allow me to be your peace. Allow me to give you my grace. So as we come to the Lord's table today, Let's allow God to give us His grace today. Listen, the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to examine our hearts before we do this. Listen, communion is open to all of you who have come to Jesus Christ and He is your Lord and Savior. And if if you've not come to that realization, we will pray right now with you and you can confess Him as Lord and Savior and you can take communion with all of us as part of the family of God. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to examine our hearts And we're going to say, God, is there something in me that needs to be broken today? Is there something that I need to lay before you today? And allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart today, to humble yourself and to realize that Jesus did everything for you, that His glory might be shown through you, that all might see the reason why Jesus came to this earth. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save sinners. And we're all sinners. Praise God. We need a Savior. And when we humble ourselves before His mighty hand, James says, He will lift you up. Let's pray. And let's allow the Lord to do that. Lord, we come before You. God, I know in my own heart I can become so boastful and arrogant and proud in so many ways. And sometimes that Humility is forced upon us and we've got to confess that and we have to confess you. Lord, right now we confess to you maybe, maybe something we said, maybe in arrogance, maybe in pride that we need to confess to you. Forgive us of that, God, so that your grace may flow through us. 
And also grace is a choice that we make to serve. God, help us to allow the Spirit of Christ to live within us, that we choose to humble ourselves, that we choose to be obedient. That's what humility is all about. It's not beating ourselves up. Humility is a choice. It's a lowliness of mind that says, I am no better. And that, and that Christ, I want you to live through me. So I choose to do these things as to allow you to be glorified in my life. So whatever that might be, however that might look in each and every individual's life, I pray that you would allow us to do that. Lord, as we take communion as the family of God today, we recognize what Jesus did for us. That it's all about Jesus. It's all about his blood that was shed for us. It's all about his death that was given for us for our sins. It's all about him taking on the wrath of God. It's all about him doing something for us that we could never do for ourselves. So we thank you, Jesus. And we're grateful and we love you. Thank you for your grace. I pray for anyone here that's never come to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that as they sit in their chairs right now, they confess you as Lord and Savior. They ask you to come into their lives, God. They ask you for your forgiveness. And God, I thank you that you are faithful to save right now at this moment. So we thank you for that. And as we take communion as a family of God, I pray that you would unite our hearts together, Lord. That God, we would be a church that would see service as the first and foremost because we're ultimately serving you. Allow our hearts to be humbled before you as we serve you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving us when we're so wayward in so many different ways. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Listen, the ushers are going to come at this time. They will serve you. If you could please wait to the end. We will take communion as the body of Christ. So God bless you as the worship team leads you in prayer.